in the bullpen. You might want to watch where you're stepping. Here's American Shorthorn Association CEO, Monty Souls. Our guest today is uh, the Honorable Frank Lucas, U.S. Representative from the state of Oklahoma. Uh, he's also a shorthorn breeder. I want to ask Frank a little bit uh, about your shorthorn operation. I know Linda, your wife, is pretty instrumental in it and probably does most of the chores because you're in D.C. doing other things. So fill us in a little bit how that works. Well, Monty, I refer to her as the herdsman. She's also a pretty good amateur bovine midwife. Uh, she loves everything about the cattle. And while she doesn't like driving the tractor, she'll do everything else. We're in session about nine months out of the year. And Linda's willingness to be the herdsman enables us to stay in the shorthorn business uh, in the third district of Oklahoma. We're about 85 mama cows. Not a big operation, but uh, all that Linda can handle when I'm not there. She does a great job. So in your cattle operation, you make some genetic selection, and, and I've watched over the years a little bit. You use some Canadian bloodlines once in a while. Do you do use some AI, and, and do you know what kind of tools she's using to make her selections? Linda's very focused on AI, and we've done that for literally decades. Uh, we've carefully slid into some of the embryo transfer work okay. in recent years, uh, the EPDs and the way she selects bulls. When we started out, 30 plus years ago, uh, the program was a little more complicated, but with the use of the birth weights and all of the other things, it's really amazing how much more efficient the shorthorn breed is, for that matter, the cattle industry as a whole. So Linda does a great job. We're in session nine months out of the year, so I come home. When we're not there, uh, I still get to infrequently anymore with shorthorns, pull a calf or two, but that's infrequent. We've done much better about that as a breed. Yep, that's that's great to hear. I mean, it, you know, agriculture is the lifeblood of our country, in, in my opinion. And I know you're in a rural setting. Your, your district is pretty rural and across Oklahoma. So as you have served for the U.S. representative force for a number of years, you're actually where I live on my weekends because I, a little yeah. bit the same way, you're in my district, quite that's honestly. True. But... Uh, so how long have you been a U.S. representative? I went to Congress in 1994 in a special election in May. And it was an example of the nature of rural America. At that time, 40% of the district lived in Oklahoma City, and the other 60% of the district was scattered out over 23 other counties in northwest Oklahoma. On primary, on special election day, I got about 54% of the vote. But the difference, Monty, was in the urban area where I lost, they had an 8% turnout in the rural areas. Now, it's a special election off-season, off-time of year. We had a 24% turnout. By a factor of three, people in the country voted more than in the city. And that's uh, how my neighbors were able to send me to Congress. I served on the Ag Committee uh, in my tenure there, been a part of every farm bill, I watched the transformation of the safety net. Uh, when you and I started out, the safety net was essentially uh, something that the crop guys and girls depended on. But now since 2014, we've added products to enable livestock producers, beef cattle people in particular, to help uh, spread out the risk. And in the world we live in right now, whether it's the wild gyrations in input cost or the wild gyrations in prices based on COVID and wars in Europe and all this and that and the other, it's important we have those safety nets. So, so when you look back, You've given us a little history here, but 
What would you consider the biggest change you've seen since your tenure being in D.C. as you sit here and look at our political scene, quote, quote, a little bit today that it's, it's different for me as I've got a little white hair uh, than what I, I remember earlier. And, and uh, so what's some of the big changes you see? And, and it probably has affected a lot of our daily lives in the way of how we do business, more so than just short-horn breed, but everyone. Well, as the shift from rural America to suburban America to the inner cities has continued to accelerate, there are fewer and fewer members of Congress who have congressional districts that are truly rural. Uh, I have part of the suburbs of Oklahoma City, part of the suburbs of Tulsa, but I'm fortunate enough my biggest uh, community is Stillwater, home of Oklahoma State University, when school's in session, about 60,000 people. When OSU's not in session, it's Enid, Oklahoma, 50,000 people. I'm not sure there are many congressional districts where the biggest town uh, three times a year is 50,000 people. So I'm very lucky in that regard. It means, though, that I and the members of the Ag Committee, the folks from rural America, we have to work really hard to educate our colleagues in Congress. Because I believe, Monty, the lion's share, the overwhelming share of my cohorts want to do the right thing for the right reason. But if you've never been outside of the city limits, if the only thing you know about your dinner is what you see on the shelf in the grocery store or on the plate in the restaurant when it comes out, if you have no clue about livestock agriculture or crop agriculture or weather or international markets or the futures markets, uh, if you don't want a clue about that, it's hard to cast the right votes to help make sure we can raise the food and fiber we need. So I spend a lot of time with my cohorts uh, trying to share the knowledge, share an understanding, inviting them out into our districts, inviting them to participate in things to try and get that across. Another issue that's made it more challenging is with the arrival of smartphones, these mini computers that everyone carries in their pocket, we're in a society, Monty, where everyone expects instant gratification. And the legislative process is slow, it's awkward, it's clumsy. It's a self-protection mode. You want to slow things down when you're making major decisions. So dealing with this desire for instant communication, by the same token, as we're doing today, the modern world provides us with opportunities to share information, educate people. But like the American Short Owner Association, like me, myself as a member of Congress, we have to constantly work at it, don't we? Yeah. Well, you're, what you're describing is, is the same thing I work. I work with a board of directors. Mm -hmm. They're there for a purpose. It's multiple people. Mm -hmm. It takes time to get the good things done, and it's, and it's a good thing because it's a check and balance, and they go through that process, mm -hmm. and they make sure they've done the right thing for the breed and for, and for the, the, the organization. It's the same process as you're talking about, and, and I understand totally this instant gratification because everybody that we do business with wants this instant gratification and it's sometimes we just can't provide it that fast we got to go through the process the process was set there by our ancestors many years ago whether we understand that or not and democracy is a good thing oh absolutely and, absolutely. and so uh, that, that's interesting when you give it that perspective because I think it's it's very relative to what we do within the American Shorthorn Association on a daily basis as well there's lots of focus with people on the safety net part of the commodity programs of the Farm Bill. But we're also agricultural research, rural, rural development, we're farm credit, uh, we're nutrition programs, we're a variety of things. And a lot of times folks don't understand the amazing success 
of the agricultural research enterprise in the United States, whether it's the land-grant universities. I'm an Oklahoma State graduate. I uh, know lots of good folks who are K-State graduates. I have a Texas A&M employer, too, on my D.C. staff. But the scientific model, and that's a big part also of the American Shorthorn Association. And I would say all the other ag groups is trying to help make sure that those public dollars, state and federal, are used to move the body of knowledge, the science of being cattlemen and women forward. How much it's changed since you and I uh, were pups. Oh, yeah, a lot. And, and, and quite honestly, I've been fortunate in my life that I've been able to do a lot of international travel, a little bit of international consulting. And, I, and those folks that haven't had that opportunity, exposures that you get, I don't think they really understand what the value of our university systems in the United States. It set us apart from the rest of the world is our land-grant universities when it comes to agriculture, not just livestock genetics, but all of agriculture and even many other fields. But, uh, you know, I've traveled in South America extensively, and it's, it's just astronomical how they look to us for guidance as, as the U.S., as the United States of America. And it's because of the things that are coming out of your office and, and, and your house there at the uh, House of Representatives and the Senate and just all of our representatives that keep everything flowing that makes that all work. When President Lincoln signed the Morrell Act that created the land-grant universities in 1862, it was the first time in the history of the world where if you had enough ambition and enough smarts, you could secure a college education. That didn't exist before. You had to be wealthy. Yeah. You had to be from a strategic uh, community. <clears throat> we opened it up to the world in research and extension. Who do you think develops and trains the scientists? Where do they earn their masters and PhDs and their bachelors? It's in the university system. That is the farm team, just as our shorthorn pureblood breeders are the foundation stock seed producers, so the land grants, the universities, provide our scientific seed stock. They're the source of our employees at the American Shorthorn Association. Yes. Without them and the knowledge that they carry behind them that they've received there, they're not as valuable to us to be to be in our in our employment and serve the breeders of the American Shorthorn Association. So as you look forward now, and we see you you get a vision here a little bit of what do you see on the horizon that can happen through the political scenes or what we see that you can that you personally might like to see occur in the house for farmers and ranchers across America. First let me say Monty, we've essentially crossed the eight billion person mark on planet Earth. The need for more food and fiber, protein in particular, is only going to grow dramatically in the lifetime of everyone uh, that you and I know, and ourselves included. So we have to have the capacity to meet that need. There are not many places in the world that are as modern, as scientific, as efficient as our production agriculture, be it livestock, be it crop, be it fiber production. So we need to continue to work to be able to feed ourselves here in the United States of America and sell our surplus into the world markets yep. and sell a product that is so consistent, so high quality, so safe that it will be in demand everywhere, which is the way we've done it since the colonial times. So that said, making the investments in things like the Farm Bill so that we do the research so that we have the tools like crop insurance and 
livestock insurance to protect us from droughts and fires and hurricanes and blizzards, things we have no control over, and a little price protection because we can't control what happens on the other side of the world. Those assets to enable our core group of people out there. You can't just make a farmer or a rancher. That's a lot of science, but it's a whole lot of art and it's a whole lot of legacy. Preserving our capacity to do all it's it is a I believe truly one of the best investments that the American taxpayer makes is the farm bill, the safety net, the future that is generated by it. Now, looking forward, we're gonna meet that need at home and around the world. And it's gonna be ever changing. Precision agriculture was not what it is today when I started farming my first wheat in 1977. Uh, the scientific work we do, the genomes and all of the research on the livestock side. My grandfather would have been flabbergasted to be able to lay out a printout of what the herd exists and consists of and where it can go. But we have to build off of that. And ultimately, uh, consumers around the world and in the future will be better for it. Oh, and always throw in one caveat. In addition to the education, in addition to the safety net, we have to spend money on infrastructure in rural America whether it's the basic conservation programs to protect the soil, water, and the air, and ranchers and farmers are the world's original conservationists, or it's infrastructure issues like maintaining the kind of highways and railroads that can move our raw products out and in and finish products around, uh, and things so simple as being able to access broadband so that whether we're trading cattle or on, on our computer or we're... Uh, participating in seminars or learning things that people in rural America can touch the same kind of resources in urban America because the under 50 crowd are not going to live anymore where they can't access the modern telecommunication system or they can't do business. Our grandparents, they got electricity. Now we've got to make sure that our generations coming after us have access to the same level of modern communications as everybody in the big towns. No, it, it, it all fits together. Modern agriculture is there already. We do most of our business online, so we expect all of those farmers and ranchers across America to have access to good internet service so they can log in and do their registrations and, and take care of all that business. You know, your, your exports that you're talking about, it's an important economic factor for our country that we got to supply that surplus because that keeps driving the price and gives a profitability back to our producers. You know, we, we talk and you're talking about the protein and, you know, one of the things I think that a lot of people don't grasp when we're in the purebred shorthorn business, what you and Linda do at your house is going to, is, is scientific improvement because it's going to help feed America someday because you're making those cattle better. And as a result, you, you are, you are going to, increase the production that you're getting right now and that consumer we have to understand even though we're raising purebred cattle we want to sell a bull to a commercial producer we want to sell a show heifer to somebody but the ultimate goal that we have to understand of our product is it's going to the consumer and it's important that we do the things to make it good for the consumer and make it a high quality product and safe for the consumer even though we may not benefit directly from it, that's where we end up, and we actually become somewhat of a scientist 
based organization producing beef for America and the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, we appreciate you being with us today. We're here in Kansas City at the Shorthorn Annual Meeting, and our, our good friend, fellow breeder, U.S. Representative Frank Lucas uh, from the state of Oklahoma, uh, has really been a great contribution to our breed as, as he and his wife are Shorthorn breeders, but also has contributed to the farmers and ranchers across America for a long time. And we look forward to having you support us and represent us for a lot longer. Bonnie, it's been a long time since I purchased my junior membership, more decades ago than I care to admit in public. But one of my proudest possessions is a picture, the first picture of my father's family in Oklahoma after they came in 1902. And in the background, you can see those roan cattle in the old faded black and white picture. Awesome. We, we, that's what we love. You know, the, the junior programs across America build tomorrow's leaders. The, the young people of today are tomorrow's leaders, and we have to groom them and give them opportunity to grow. And that's, that's you're proving it right there. So Absolutely. we appreciate having you with us. We appreciate everything you do for the farmers and ranchers across America, and we're really proud to have you part of the Shorthorn family. Let's just keep raising good Shorthorn cattle. You bet. Thank you, sir.